Hi, my name is Sarah Bentley Pearson, and I am excited to share my podcast, which features wonderful talent that I've been so lucky to discover in the Southeast. This was born out of a list that I created in 2015 called Sarah's List, and through my work in real estate, which I've been doing since 2005, and styling work, and just my personal life and my personal interests, I've been able to meet so many wonderful people, and I'm excited to share them with you. Marvin, thank you so much for coming. This is actually an interesting full circle moment for me. Um, met you obviously at like the worst time of my life. So as most people do. <laughs> yeah. And I remember I remember some of the things that you said to me before we got started. But I thought I would want to like know more about you and sure. what it was like to decide to be a divorce attorney or a family attorney, because it's a hard profession. It, it is a hard profession. And uh, probably the last thing that I think I expected to do when I was in law school, you know, interestingly, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and to me, the definition of a lawyer was sort of like a trial attorney. You know, you see the movies, you see the TV shows. And, and I al- I've always liked public speaking. I was very involved in high school in public speaking, student council. So I think it was a natural sort of progression for me to figure out, okay, what are the careers out there that I can sort of talk in public? Because I I really like doing that. And then when I was in law school, really, I mean, there was, I just wanted to be a trial attorney. And um, the way law school works, you know, you get perhaps an offer your first semester and unfortunately from a big law firm. And I wasn't fortunate at that point, I thought fortunate to, um, to get a job. So I was just playing basketball and I met a couple of guys. And uh, one of my buddies introduced me to, to my partner, Randy Kessler, who had just literally started um, his law firm at that point. And, and I said, hey, you know, I'm, I just moved to Atlanta for Emory Law School. You know, can I work a couple of times during the week? And, and he said yes. And it was a it was just him and I think a secretary at that point and little rinky dink offices. Um, So that was sort of how I got introduced to the concept of family law. And during the first sort of first year law school, second year law school, it wasn't something that I really, it it wasn't a sort of glamour practice, for lack of a better term, because of the type of cases that we were doing, unlike now, were sort of, they weren't glamorous, they weren't high profile, they weren't, you know, there weren't a lot of money involved. But I was like, you know, watching people go to court and, and talk about it. And then next thing you know, I graduated law school and I didn't sort of think twice about it. It was like, okay, I'm here. I'm happy. I like the concept of sort of building um, a law practice sort of from the ground up. And it was sort of a a perfect, uh, you know, perfect scenario for me. And and here we are 25 years later. And uh, all I've done since, uh, since day one has been family law. Well, you're good at it, too. I mean, obviously, I've been in the trenches with you and some of the things that I was impressed with um, during our depositions and all that stuff is just how you were very methodical and how you brought things out. And you had this sort of punch to you that but always had a calmness to you, which I really appreciated. And so, you know, being that you sort of ended up in family law, but that wasn't your intention, you know. What were your ideas about marriage uh, growing up? Did you have good feelings about marriage? Were your parents, were they happily married? Or was it you could see conflict growing up? Well, you know, it's funny because someone asked me that question a long time ago. And I, to be honest, only growing up, I only knew one, I think divorce back then was like a taboo. I mean, I really only knew one, one family member uh, you know, one of my, you know, second aunts that that had been divorced. So it wasn't something, you know, nowadays, you know, 51 to 52% of all marriages end up in divorce. Those statistics have significantly grown since I was growing up in the 80s and late 70s and all that. And uh, so it wasn't, you know, my view of marriage was, you know, what what I saw from my family, which was an intact family, you know, my parents, you know, yeah, that they, that they fight in front of us. I'm one of four boys mm. you know I'm sort of like number three of four but it was a, a happy childhood and 
you know, at back then sort of pretty traditional roles. You know, my dad was a, was a workaholic and, you know, he, he did well at some point and he didn't do well, then he did well again. And, and my mom was just sort of that, you know, that, that glue that sort of, you know, held, you know, not only the family together, but also, you know, just everything relating to, to the businesses. She was always, you know, by my dad's side, they worked together. So she was sort of a, a jack of all trades. You know, she was the one who would, you know, help us with our schoolwork, help my, help my dad with work, help everything. So she was, um, you know, I can't understate, you know, the impact of her involvement, you know, as, as, as a boy, you know, for all four of us, um, as well as my dad. I mean, I think I get my, uh, my work ethic from, from my dad who, you know, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he literally, you know, was a workaholic. And, Are you uh, a workaholic? I, I, yeah. My wife would tell you yeah. that I am. And, and that's the, that's the, the, the most difficult thing about divorce work is that it's taken me a long time, but it, to realize that you, you got to sort of leave those problems at the office. But nowadays, what, what's the office? I mean, we, we work virtually, right. you know, I have my phone with me at all times. You know, mm-hmm. if a client calls me, texts me, it's like everyone expects to you to be available, you know, 24 seven, which I understand people are going through the, the most difficult time in their lives, but it's very hard, you know, to leave work, um, at the office. So, because also we're dealing with personal problems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you wouldn't be human if those personal problems of your clients didn't affect you. So that I think is, is the most challenging. And, you know, we have a lot of younger associates in our office. We have about, you know, almost 20 attorneys now. And I tell them, look, it's, it's, I, I, I usually have a heart to heart with the attorneys after a year. And I tell them, this is not for everyone. And if you don't feel that this is for you, then get out. Because it does take an emotional toll on you. Because all you're dealing with is problems. There's nothing happy about this, you know, most you of the time. You got shingles. <laughs> yeah. yeah and I, I was like, did I do <laughs> no. this to him? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is It is very emotional. You know, my ex-husband's a dentist. And I feel like that's kind of a similar thing like nobody's going to the dentist happy yeah. and nobody's going to a divorce attorney happy and Correct. you know frankly um we'll get into your book although I, you, although it's interesting that you say that because I don't know if you, if you guys have have followed this but I I read in the New York Times um I think it was two weekends ago that now a big thing especially in New York is divorce parties so you know they have um these parties for you know for people who have gone through divorce or like instead of a bride or tr- bridal shower bachelor <laughs> party bachelorette party they literally have divorce parties and i was reading the article and it made sense because it was like a new chapter of someone's life and and unfortunately for a lot of people you know marriage has not been a good thing so okay. they're looking forward to sort of like what's the next step so i i really that was that was a good article for me to read because I often forget about that, that for a lot of people, you know, getting a divorce is a good thing. And, and well, you know. it, I mean, um, for me, it, you know, I had more of a traditional marriage. You know, I, I helped my ex-husband. I worked, but I only worked when I wanted to work. I wasn't paying bills. I wasn't doing taxes. I wasn't doing all those things. And you, by doing the divorce thing and how much do I spend and yeah. all of that, it really forced me to grow up and it made empowered me. And I, and I found a new um, strength in me that I didn't know I had. And I feel grateful now for the experience. But at the time, because my parents had been divorced at the same stage of my life, there was a same, a song, strong sense of failure. Yeah. And I really, um, it, I felt so ashamed, not ashamed. Like I was a bad person, but like, saddened it'd be like having an alcoholic parent and then probably being in rehab yeah and i'm just i'm not i didn't do it that and i've heard a lot of that from my clients like you know i i feel like a failure because i i failed in in my marriage and i always say look this is not you know for a marriage to work there's got to be you know it's got to be two committed individuals so you know you're not 100 percent at fault here Mm -hmm. you know and that's one of the questions that i always ask I always ask, you know, when I'm doing a deposition or a trial, okay, well, you know, what, because usually we hear the worst. So I always ask, okay, you, you now spend 30 minutes with your attorney saying all the bad things about my client. Can you tell me anything that he or she did good? Mm -hmm. And you'll be surprised, Sarah, how many people 
take a pause. And it literally, I mean, takes them minutes to come up with something positive because they are so, they're such in the heat of the moment that they forget like, okay, well, we did happy, we did have happy times. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't, then then I'm sure to say in closing statement, look, Judge, that's the type of personality that we're dealing with that after 20 years of marriage, he didn't have a single positive thing to say about his wife, you know? And, and what does that say about his personality? What does that say about maybe his narcissism? Mm. You know, so every case is different, but but th- there's common themes in all, in all these marriage and, and the concept of failure one party definitely feels much more sort of that, 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 that they let themselves down, they let their marriage down. And usually that's the better part because the other party's sort of like, I didn't do anything wrong. It was all him or it was all she. And, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it takes two to tango. It, yeah, so. it's, a, it's a complicated thing. Um, what, I was curious just because you, you know, you're a very well-respected attorney and actually uh, a friend of mine, you know, had recommended you. I had actually gone to see another attorney a year prior and I wasn't ready to face it. I just couldn't. I had to kind of retreat and still hope that maybe um, that maybe we would have a, a meeting of the minds and that we would come back together. But once I came to you, um, you know, I, I was ready. And I wanted to know from you, like, what are some standout themes um, of why people divorce, like sure. that you're seeing. I mean, you're in Buckhead. You're in a very entitled little circle. You know, I think a lot of times people stay together because they can't afford to divorce. Correct. Right? Like, yeah. divorce is for people who can afford to separate, essentially. Yeah, and no matter how much I always tell this to my clients, because you know, usually we, you know, we're dealing with high-income individuals. But no matter how much money you have, whether you're making a couple million a year, whether you're making twenty million dollars a year. The bottom line is you're going to have less and you you have to sort of prepare yourself for that. And oftentimes what I find is that, you know, it, it's not a question of, well, I, you know, the usually the, the quote unquote payer, the, the person who's who's earning the money. It's more of a of a objection that they have to paying the other individual, irrespective of what whether that's going to change your lifestyle or not. It's just like, I, I just don't want to do it. I know. You know, she can support herself or he can support herself. And, you know, that's why the, the law says here in Georgia is that, you know, alimony is, you know, the two main factors is the, the payer's ability to pay, the recipient's, you know, need for the money. And that's why we go through those budgets to figure out, okay, what, what was the lifestyle of this marriage? You know, what does that person need? And, you know, we have to understand that. And, and, and this is the unfortunate part of things. In, in my world, you know, whether it be in front of a judge, in front of an arbitrator, it's so easy for someone who doesn't know all the details of your marriage to say, okay, I understand you've been out of a job for 15 years and you've been home raising the kids or whatnot, but in a year, I expect you to earn $80,000. And it just, you know, that it doesn't work like that. Right. It took, you know? it took me years to kind of, you know, I talk to a lot of people, motivational people, and they t- we talk about habits. And you're ha- if you're a stay-at-home mom, you put on your workout clothes, you're feeding dinner, you're emptying the, um, feeding them breakfast, you're emptying the dishwasher, you're making beds. You know, it's noon. It's correct. <laughs> you, you, you don't, it takes a while to transition to that other life. I hear you. And I, and I always say that the, the hardest job is, you know, the, the homemakers, the, <sighs> the stay-at-home moms, you know, the, and now, you know, we see the stay-at-home dads as well. But it's so hard because, you know, it's your, your entire sort of life revolves around making sure that that everyone is taken care of. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You're not taking care of yourself. Right. You know, right. And, and that's what I think, you know, courts sort of fail to understand that it's not that easy. There's an emotional component of it. Like you said, just you have habits mm-hmm. and someone is telling you, you got to change Everything that you've known about your life for the past 15 years, 20 years, mm-hmm. and you got to become this new person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, if someone told me tomorrow, hey, you're, you're not going to be a divorce attorney, you know, you're, you're, you're done. Yeah. I mean, I'd be in shock and yeah. I'd be like, what, what am I going to do? Right. And, yeah. and people like you go through that. And, and it, there's such a lack of understanding about how difficult that is. Yeah, you know? it is. It is. And, you know, it. But, but I still, I still now look at it all 
as such a blessing, but you're permanently changed from the experience. Yeah. But know? I mean, your example, I mean, is, 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 is incredible. I mean, you, you've, you've completely sort of, you know, you went, like you said, from a primary homemaker to now a successful businesswoman. I mean, it, it's incredible. And, and that has to be, you know, not everyone's going to be able to do that. But the fact that people like you are doing that, I, I think that needs to be sort of promoted. It needs to be embraced because it does serve, you know, for the people that are going through the divorce that, listen, yes, it's going to be hard for the next, you know, couple of years, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But, you know, um, I want to get back to the themes yeah. in a second, but one of the things I want to say, you know, I feel that the system, you, protected me. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm more fortunate than some people because my ex-husband, for all my negative opinions, did pay my child support, did pay my alimony. And I was able to, because of my personality type, be responsible. And I mean, I would lie awake at night going, oh my God, I have two more years, like yeah. three more years. Like, what am I going to do? I would panic. But I lived within my means and saved and saved and saved. Yeah. I was like, well, if I save this much, I'll give myself another year. If I Correct. save this much, I'll have two or three years. But that's, that's my way. But I also <clears throat> was really sure that I didn't want to have to get married again, you know, because my divorce was painful for me. I did love my husband when we got married. Sure. There were happy memories. Did it end up like that? No, but it was, I know that I did marry for the right reason. So, you know, when you see that, you know, how marriages can get such a mess. I mean, I always tell people, my wonderful assistant, Caroline, nobody ever knows what's coming down the pike. No. You know, you could have um, bankruptcy, you could have addiction, you could have lots of things that can break people apart. But what do you see is a common theme or what are some of the common themes? Yeah, I mean, the common theme, I mean, usually there's there's some type of infidelity, mm -hmm. okay? And um, I, I would tell you that probably 80 to 90% of, of cases that walk in through that door have some element of adultery. Mm -hmm. Whether it's known or not known at that time, it does exist. So that mm -hmm. that's a big, you know, that's a big element. The other, the other theme that, that I see a lot is the natural sort of stage of a marriage, sort of you get married, you get a dog or, you know, a cat, whatever it may be, you have kids. And then 18 years later, you know, when your kids are, are grown and they're out of high school, people grow apart mm -hmm. because now it's like they're, for lack of a better term, they're, they're forced to, to, to sort of interact more with one another. Like a lot of parents, like their lives revolve around their kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, quite frankly, I, I think that's a mistake that a lot of people do. Because then when those kids are gone, they realize that we don't have anything in common anymore. We, mm -hmm. we, we haven't, don't know each other. Exactly. And mm -hmm. you'll be surprised how many people tell me, you know, and, and I always have to ask some very sort of personal questions. But, you know, I, I'm shocked when I hear someone, you know, say, well, we, we've been sort of sleeping in separate bedrooms for six, seven years. And it happens so, and it still shocks me because, again, I'm. <laughs> I sort of have a traditional marriage, but it, it shocks me to hear that these people are living like roommates instead mm -hmm. of instead of um, instead of spouses. So that's another thing: the, the theme of you know you devote all your time and, and your attention to you know your kids, then they then they grow old, they don't need you as much, and and you don't have anything in common. Then the, the other element that does happen a lot is um, is is just no matter how much money you have or how little you have. That seems to, you know, especially when we were going through COVID and back in 98 when the economy was tanking, people became really concerned that they were not able to sort of sustain the standard of living because of a change of employment, change of economy. So that creates a lot, a lot of pressure in a marriage when there are financial sort of factors that are making um, the couple fight. And, and those, I will tell you, are very difficult divorce cases because they sort of expect, you know, uh, clients expect the attorneys to sort of, you know, be magicians that just by the snap of our fingers, we can sort of undo what what's happened in your marriage for, you know, the last 10 years. So when there's that economical pressure, it's, it makes it much more difficult for us because look, you had a kind of economical pressures during your marriage. Now you're going to get divorced. So that same income that wasn't enough 
during your marriage, right. now you're expected to sort of, you know, support each other with, with that same income. So it makes it very hard. So that's, uh, that's another theme. And, and then, you know, some um, underlying things that we see all the time are, like you said, addiction, whether it be with drugs, whether it be alcoholism. I mean, that, that presents a lot of, um, a lot of issues. And, and finally, the last one that I would tell you is, you know, problems with, with children, you know, kids that have, you know, special needs, mm-hmm. or they may not mm-hmm. have done as, as well as we would want them to go. That creates a lot of strain in the marriage. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it starts the, the blaming. Well, you're at fault because you're the primary caretaker and you didn't do this. And, and it's like, okay, well, you were there, you knew what was doing. And if she was doing such a bad job, why didn't you try to change right. it? Right. Yeah. You know, so it's a lot of Monday morning quarterback, but there's, those are the sort of like the pressures that, that we see, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis. Have, you know, um, my ex-husband and I, our divorce was really, really long. And then, uh, you know, it was just getting so petty there at the end. And then we finally meet at a restaurant and we both had figured out kind of where we are and we just settled it. But have you ever had anybody as a client, um, during the process, get back together? Yeah, that, that, that does happen. I would tell you probably happens maybe once every 10 times. And that's why. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. And, and, but I'm, that's why I'm very cautious when I meet with a new client. I tell them, look, I'm here to help you if you decide to sort of pull the plug. Mm -hmm. My job is never to tell someone to divorce. That's why when someone comes into my office, I'll probably ask them like three or four different times, are you sure that you want to do this? Mm -hmm. You know, because it's very difficult once you start the process to sort of take a lot of the things that 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 come out in that process right. back. A lot comes yeah, out. Yeah, a lot a lot comes mm-hmm. out and feelings are heard and and people are mm-hmm. upset and that's why you know some states believe it or not have requirements that make couples live separate and apart for a year mm-hmm. before they can finalize it. Here in Georgia, I mean, all you need to do is you need to wait 30 days after 31 days after you file for divorce and, and you can be divorced. Yeah. If you, like if both people if, if you like, reach an agreement, but, mm-hmm. but a lot of States have this one year requirement. And, and part of the rationale for that is to sort of make people sort of realize, okay, we're going to give you sort of a, a test period of living in a bona fide state of separation. And then you can decide. Do you think it. that sh- Georgia should do that? I, I don't think so quite frankly, because there are a lot of situations where these people are, are, are coming in, you know, whether they're the victims of, you know, family, you know, physical violence or all that, that they, they need to be divorced, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of people, like I told you, may be actually already living in a, in a state of separation within the same household. So to me, it's sort of like, are you mentally to get divorced? And if you're mentally ready to get divorced and there's a meeting of the minds that this is going to happen, then, then I don't believe that, you know, it serves anyone's best interest to have this sort of, you know, artificial sort of waiting period. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know I remember my best friend who lives in Switzerland because we were already had been separated and living separately for a long time. And my friend was like, this is not a marriage. And I was yeah. like, it's working fine for yeah. me, yeah. you know, because yeah. I had de-escalated things and things were calm. And so it was almost a little scary to like finally have to go and yeah. really sever things. Usually in a divorce case, you know, you will... I mean, one of the things that the courts try to do is sort of separate the parties while the divorce case is pending. So, so you are having that sort of self-imposed separation period by, by, you know, through the virtue of, you know, a lot of courts requiring parties. Okay. We're not, you're going through this very adverse process, so we're not going to have you living in the same house, mm-hmm. you know, cause the, the level oh, of some, toxicity is just, it's, yeah, it's I know. off the charts. Yeah. And one you of know, my best friends, uh, husband who's now deceased wouldn't leave the house yeah, and I there felt you go. so terrible yeah. for for her um but the process of getting divorced and and you know I felt like I had a lot of good counsel there's a lot of people you can speak to but are there some steps that especially women since I'm a woman I'm I am always you know even in my career in real estate I love to help women yeah. who are buying their own home because this is how you build wealth. And if you, if you're, you know, there was a, I was even thinking maybe I would rent, but there was something in me like, what am I doing? I remember you did yeah. not want to rent. I, I remember not, that from yeah, you. I did not want to rent. And I had a boyfriend that I really, really liked. Thank goodness where we didn't stay together. <laughs> it, you know, it wouldn't have been what was best for me, but I did decide to buy a house and that was very empowering. And it was also, um, I was able to kind of like have a fresh start to my life. 
And I still own that house too. So, you know, I was really proud of myself because I had to kind of scrape a lot together to make that happen and, um, you know, put a lot of money down to make it happen. But, um, are there, are there steps that, um, you're now doing, because I've been divorced a long time, helping women, you know, get, make the right choices? Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's sort of, when, when, when I think of that, I think of two sort of different sort of, you know, aspects of that question. One is the emotional state. I, you know, I'm an attorney. I'm not a trained psychologist. I don't pretend to be a psychologist. So I always tell my clients, you know, this is such an emotional process that if you're not seeing someone, then you need to go see a psychologist because the last thing that you want is to have sort of an attorney sort of step into the role of, of trying to give you sort of emotional sort of advice. Mm-hmm. That, that's not what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. You don't want to pay me to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not trained in doing that. So I always say, look, definitely go and, and, and get a psychologist. It, there's, there's this taboo, it seems, that, you know, that, well, wh- what are they going to think if I'm seeing a psychologist? Like, everyone's seeing a psychologist. Or is that the men speaking? A lot of the men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But I'm like, yeah. you, have to, you, you have to do that, okay? Because if you're not thinking, you know, straight in your mind, then you're not going to be able to, to, to think straight when the financials, you know, come into play. So I always say, you know, go see a psychologist. Make sure that, you know, your thoughts are, are where they need to be. Um, and then the, the sec, you know, the other element is, you know, if um, depending on, on the estate, we will, you know, have individuals make sure that they're talking, you know, whether it be their CPA, their financial advisor, to make sure that, that they have an understanding of what is it going to look like, you know, the day after the divorce in terms of, okay, here are the assets that I'm going to be entitled to. Here's the child support that I may be getting. Here's the alimony that I may, may be getting. So, so we want to project that, you know, over a period of time so that we can then decide, okay, what is it that, that's going to be enough to make sure that, that this person, you know, is able to support, you know, him or herself. And, uh, and then the other issue as well, depending if, if there's kids and all that, you know, one of the big things is the impact that the divorce has mm. on the children. Yeah, so, you know, we will, we will often, you know, tell individuals that, that, you know, there's got to be a concerted effort here to communicate to the children that this is happening and what it's going to mean. And the worst thing I think that a parent can do is to have a unilateral discussion without the other parent about the divorce process. So as much as we can try, we will push for either, you know, all the part, you know, the, the husband and wife to sort of have a family meeting with the children to let them know that this is happening, but we still you know, we still care for you and, and we're going to make this work because children get, they don't know anything. You know, they, at this point, it's like, you know, that they think that, that they have to pick sides. And mm-hmm. so we, I think it's very important for the children to know sort of, you know, to have their expectations, um, you know, set. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps a lot. Yeah. I remember um, my therapist at the time just saying, you know, you need to understand that Pearson will be hurt by this. You know, as yeah. much as you don't want him to, he, he on some level he is. Yeah. Every child is. Absolutely. And, you know, um, but I have thought a lot about about it. And, you know, that time that I had just with Pearson was a really special time, too. And I felt grateful that I was shielding him from as much as I could. You know, also growing up in a household with a lot of fighting and blah, yeah. blah, blah isn't good for a child Correct. either. So, you know, you pick your battles. And, um you know, I was, I was, you know, I, I feel like the whole process of divorce was actually kind of empowering to me. You know, it's like I could, I could uh, make a decision on the kind of person I was going to be when I got a divorce. I was really cognizant that I was never going to have Pearson see me uh, have a guy over at our house Correct. and him wake up in the morning like, who's this guy? And I've known girls who've done that. And I'm like, that's so traumatizing yes, to a child. it is. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, there should be like a whole post-divorce course on some things that, you know, I had to kind of piece it together. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you say that because in Georgia for, and and you may not remember, but there is a requirement that if you are going through divorce with children, you have to go through this quote unquote co-parenting seminar. So, you know, they, that, that's, that probably needs to be updated, you know? Um, But yeah, there's some element to to that. Yeah. In terms of how, what to do and what not to do in front of your child 
as you're going through this. Yeah, and I know. think it is hard. You know, everybody makes mistakes too because you know you're everybody's so filled with emotions and you know there are things. Of course, I wish I had done differently, but um, one of the things I also did that um, meant a lot to me is that I surrounded myself with happily married people because you know when you're getting a divorce, a lot of times your divorce is coming. You know, you're coming to a bad part in your marriage, and you look around at your peer group and. They, they, they're representative of where your life is. And so I was like, I have to put myself around happily married people so I can at least believe Correct. that it's possible and also around really successful working women. Yeah. Because I was like, they will model for me. They will show me. They will, you know, and I remember I had my deposition uh, with you and uh, my one of my best friends, Melanie Turner, dropped off a big piece of cake and these really pretty shoes. And she <laughs> said, every girl deserves this in this hard time. And so, you know, it's it's interesting to me. And, and you know, you hear those things. Why is divorce so expensive? Because it's worth it. You yeah, know, and having yeah. somebody really look out for you. I mean, there's so many details. There's a lot. And that you look back, you're like, oh, my God, I should have thought of this. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Uh, it, th- there's a lot of details and, and unlike any other sort of aspect of, of law, the emotional component of it is at the forefront. I mean, it's just so, it, it's so important to, you know, that why people think it's like divorce is hard. Yes, it's hard because it's all about your emotions. You know, at the end of the day, you're talking about, you know, presumably a, a love that, that ended. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of emotions mm-hmm. associated it's, with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, we think of it, you know, it's interesting too. Like, I feel from just, you know, at that time when I got divorced, then I met a lot of divorced men, of yeah. course, right? Like, we're all in the same pool now. Yeah, yeah. And it seemed to me some of the men I knew were were great dads. Like, I met some exceptional dads. And I met some dads that were very generous with their ex-wives, maybe perhaps because they thought they could be, but I think it's more of a spirit. But it seemed to me that almost all of the men I knew did very well in post-divorce. Like, they made all that money back very quickly. Yeah, I mean, and it's sort of, yeah, I mean, and that's... Because they knew how to work. Correct. (laughs) And that's the unfortunate side of these things that, you know, presumably you know, yeah, the assets are, are going to be equally divided and there's going to be some element of alimony, but alimony is going to run out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's so difficult. And that's why we always, you know, I always make the argument, look, is he going to pay a lot of alimony? Yes. But at the end of, of that alimony, he's going to be able to build up that that wealth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the homemaker is not. Like her assets are going to start going down. His assets are going to start going up. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very, very difficult and, you know, there's some, I don't want to say crazy laws, but there's some, you know, I, ju- I was just reading a couple of weeks ago, like the state of Florida now basically says that alimony, if, unless you were married for more than, I think it was five years, you can't get alimony. And then that the alimony has, is it cannot be more than, I think, one year for every five years of marriage. So there, there's a lot of limitations. So do you think that uh, divorce is actually more favoring men now? I would be lying if I did not say yes. I mean, I, I really think from the perspective of th- there is a, a zone that I call sort of, you know, if, 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 if you're in your 40s and you're in your 50s and you've been a homemaker for 20 years mm-hmm. and you're getting divorced, you're in, I mean, I don't want to say you're in trouble, but your financial situation is going to be significantly worse than, than your husband's. And it's because alimony is not permanent. So it's really, yeah, don't you get that for life? I'm like, no, no. I got it for five and a half years. Yeah. It's, 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 so it's very hard, you know? And, uh, so yeah, so I, I would tell you that, you know, I I don't want to say it's unfair for, for women. I want to say it's unfair for the, for the quote unquote financially dependent spouse. Right. Okay. Man or woman. Yeah. Because I've had, I mean, I've had men call homemakers. Absolutely. And that is going on so much now where these roles are reversed. You know, I'm representing successful women who are who are the primary wage earners and their husbands are, you know, at home. And um, and they're in the same shoes because they haven't been working. And quite frankly, there's a stigma. I mean, we still deal with stereotypes. You know, I was trying a jury case. Um, you know, believe it or not, Georgia is the only state now in the country that allows a divorce case to financial issues to be tried in front of a jury. 
And, you know, in, in this particular case, there was a, a dependent man, man who hadn't worked in, in 20 years. And the jury was like, look, if he can't support himself, we're, we're not going to support himself. And, and I often wondered, they weren't you know, going to support him if he correct, couldn't support correct. himself. And I often wonder, is like, would, would, would it be the same if, if he was a woman? No. You know? So, <laughs> so yeah. So it, it, it's, you know. When I got my house, it was a little small house in Garden Hills. And I said, no one's moving in this house. Yeah. If they can't upgrade the situation, I'm staying here alone. Yeah. It's amazing to me that, but I guess if one woman, one person is the earner and you have children, you want what's best for the family. Correct. And you're not thinking, how's this going to look or, or what? I mean, marriage is forever, you know? Right? So you're not thinking, okay, where am I going to be 20 years later if my wife decides to divorce me and I haven't really worked outside the home, you know, in 15 years? So what, I mean, that's, what that's do scary. you, yeah, what do you recommend since, you know, again, back to women, I mean, what do you recommend? Because there is this, this female nurturing, like we are inclined to care. Abs- absolutely. To, to talk, and you know, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just, wired. Yeah, yes. And, and, and that's a good way of putting it. Yes. I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I'm not wired like that and I couldn't do what my wife did, you know, mm-hmm. raising our, our, our two kids. Um, but I, I think what can someone in that position do is always, even if you're not sort of working, I, I always want people to have, to try to have some control over directing and having knowledge as to what the marriage's financial situation is. I cannot tell you how high of a percentage when I'm dealing with a, with a homemaker they come in and one of the first questions is, okay, tell me a little bit about your estate. And other than them telling me about the house and the car that they drive, they have no idea what's what's in retirement. They have no idea what's in investment accounts. They have no idea how much a credit card bill, you know, what the monthly expenses. Yes. But Sarah, I mean, that is, I mean, so many people are in that situation and it's so difficult for them to sort of, you know, now they're being tasked, you know, in a divorce case to sort of, okay, well, you know, how did you know, know this? How did you not know that? I mean, and take a step back. It's like, how do you, how do you have no idea? Did you sign tax returns? Well, he would sign them for me, or I would just sign where, where he tells me to sign, you know, cause that's another question. It's like, okay, how much is your spouse making? I don't know. You know? So it, it, it happens. So and, be and, partner. And, 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 and yeah, correct. Yeah. Be just because you're not, Making the money, that doesn't give you any less right to certainly know what's out there and ask questions and, and try to make decisions regarding, you know, that financial, you know, structure. Um, and, and that's the, the biggest advice that I can give to, to, to homemakers is make sure that, 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 that your spouse understands that just because you're not earning the money, that doesn't mean that you're not entitled to know about it, entitled to make decisions surrounding that. Well, I think, you know, I think the thing is, too, is like you and I are kind of um, our age group. We're sort of at the end of that, like, 1950s sort of thinking. Like, if, you know, with my stepdaughters now, I'm like, even if you want to stay home, you should... If if you if you're get the most education you can and still stay a little bit tapped into that. I mean, I at least was working all through those Correct. years just a little yeah. bit. I had to ramp it to the next Correct. level. And, and I think that's why your your situation may be a little bit different than than the traditional quote unquote homemaker because you were a traditional homemaker, but at the same time you you had a, a job. It may it might not have been a job that earned. All this money, yeah, but like you when had Pearson a job. was born, I went you know, way down. But yeah. prior to that, I did work, and I think you have to stay Correct. relevant. Correct. You know, I think I think it's really important, and I think you, having you here is really great for women and men to listen. That one must stay relevant. You must be yeah. intelligent. There were there were many things. We'll get into your book because I yeah. thought your book was great. Yeah. Because there wasn't really anything like this when yeah. I was getting divorced. Yeah. I went and spoke to some friends and um, you were referred to me from a mutual friend and I was glad that it did. And you, yeah, you know, and, and every divorce case is different. And, you know, you have people that come in, well, well, my friend got X amount of, of alimony for X. I'm like, every, every case is different. You don't know, 
all the details surrounding that. You don't know how much money was available. You don't know what the assets are. And, and, and I always tell my clients, don't, don't start comparing because your case is not the but case But let me ask you this about alimony. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is where I think it is really sexist and bullshit. Is that men can cheat and go do all this yeah. stuff. And, you know, if I had done that same thing, I wouldn't have gotten alimony. What the Correct. hell? Yeah, Georgia has got, yeah, Georgia has a law that says that, that, if, if you committed adultery and that adultery was the cause of the separation and prevented you guys from getting back together, then that you would be barred from getting alimony. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but- and, and, and one legislature in Georgia, I think it was like five or six ago, he introduced a bill that said that if you commit adultery, you're not entitled to any of the assets. And of course that wasn't, you know, that wasn't passed, but yeah, I mean, it, but how and, about if the man correct. does it, he pays double. Well, it, it, it should it should be that if you know whoever commits it, you know if that person is not a candidate for alimony, then the conduct of the parties, you know, should have a bigger effect on the division of the assets. Because one of the factors in terms of property division is okay, who who's at fault for the marriage? You know, what what type of conduct led to this? So, for a man who commits adultery and that man is the wage earner, then you you want to remind the court all day long, hey. He, he was the one who caused this primarily. So you, you got to give her more of the assets because there's got to be a penalty. But to that. as we really know in real life, yeah. um, even though, you know, I had my certain circumstances, a breakdown of a marriage, the, the affair is only a symptom of the breakdown well, of marriage. A lot of people will say that the affair is a symptom of a bad marriage, but a lot of times it, it's not. A lot of times it's sort of like, you know, I can't, I, you know, I, I'm representing this guy. He, he, he's got a double life. His wife did not know about that double life until the divorce case. So literally, and these people have been married for a long time. Like somebody living, yeah. like paying. Yeah. For Monday, some- Tuesday, Wednesday, he's with his family. And then basically Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he's with his other family. And, the and wife, like, did he have kids with the other family? Yeah, too? She, he, for real? For he's real? got kids. Nobody <laughs> knew about it. And you know, it, it's crazy. Is he a pilot? No, he's not a pilot. No, no. And, um, you know, and it's sort of like, how did you not know? And the wife's like, I didn't know. Well, you asked me a few questions like, Sarah, how was this happening? You know, it is really like you said about how people can, you know, begin to sleep in separate bedrooms and you you get really detached. And you could almost say about this client of yours that he was doing the right thing. He was supporting both families. Well, and that's, yeah, I mean, that that's certainly his his explanation for it. That, right. That instead of divorcing, he just, you know, was was supporting, you and know. my assistant's it, laughing, yeah, his but look, you family know, like he could have kicked yeah. that family to the curb and then, yeah, you know, it, whatever. It, he, he was, it shows he obviously has good and, finances and, and, and can afford to get divorced. Correct. And, <laughs> and what is the reason why his spouse, when she found out initially, because there was a, I think she waited for, it was like three years to ultimately file for divorce. And, you know, one of the questions is, okay, well, why did you wait so long? Have you, have you had such an objections? And, and it's that financial strain that we were talking about earlier. She was afraid. She was afraid. She was yeah. terrified. Yeah. You know, yeah. You are 50, terrified. I think she's like 57 years old. Yeah. She's like, I haven't worked like in over 30 years. What, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I got to pick sort of the, the, the worst of two evils here mm-hmm. and the financial situation is is again at, at the forefront of these circumstances that people are considering when they're trying to figure out you know should they get divorced or not so. now let me ask you this because I did think of this when I got divorced and I thought to myself you know when stuff is discovered but you're not quite yet divorced and the party even though they've been behaving poorly they don't want to get a divorce they still love you they want to keep you do you have people do post-ops? Yeah, all the time. Okay, so tell um, me about some I, of them. I just actually time. just just uh, flew back from uh, from um, Panama City last week. I was testifying in a in a post-nuptial case um, where I represented. Um, I, I was just hired as an expert because it was a Georgia law that was being applied, you know, in Florida. And post-nuptial agreements, think about it, are basically just like a prenup. Mm-hmm. You're deciding before a divorce case is filed in the event of a divorce, how everything is going to look at at the end of the of the divorce road. The difference of postnuptial agreements and, and prenuptial agreements is that a postnuptial agreement obviously is done during the marriage. Mm-hmm. And the precipitation for, for wanting 
a post-nuptial agreement is is nine times out of ten bad conduct. <laughs> right. What I mean by that is <laughs> typically wife finds out that husband, you know, mm-hmm. has been cheating on her or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, playing devil's advocate, she will come to me and I'm says, look, if, if you want to forgive him, but you want to make sure that there's a penalty associated with it and he's desperate to remain in the marriage, then let's talk about a post-nuptial agreement. Because basically in exchange for you to continue in the marriage and forgive him, okay, then you got to get something back. And mm-hmm. that something back is usually a financial component. Mm-hmm. So we can decide at that point how alimony is going to look like in the event of a divorce, what the property division. So you talk about empowering. That's very empowering yeah, for it's a very empowering. That, very empowering for the for the the party who has not been the party who has engaged in the misconduct because at that point, like I tell him, it's like you're playing judge and jury. If this guy really wants to stay married to you and you want to stay married to him, then we can come up with a structure. And, and why now. do you think they want to stay married? Just the money? I mean, I, I think I mean and, and this is just my personal view, but but I think there's so much good in a marriage that shouldn't be undone maybe because one person made one bad mistake, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that, I, I'm a big sort of proponent of telling my clients, I'm like, if you can find a way to forgive, like think of all the good things that have happened in your marriage, and if you don't think he's going to do it again, or, or you can put even a penalty that if you, you file for divorce, because he committed or she committed adultery again, then there's an additional, you know, additional penalty. Mm-hmm. But again, I did a I did a prenuptial agreement for for one guy. He was a big executive of one of the publicly traded companies here, and he had gone through like three divorces. And we put in the prenuptial agreement that you know the wife was acknowledging that he was divorced three times, that he had been divorced because he's a known adulterer, and it was going to be likely, if not certain, <laughs> that he was going to commit adultery again. Right. And she was going into the marriage with a full understanding. And what did he? What did the the husband say about that? Like, no, I really learned no, my lesson. No, no, he, he he was like, yeah. yeah, maybe I might. Yeah. I'm oh not, my I'm, god, yeah, yeah. people are crazy. Yeah. And and they <laughs> and interestingly, they got married, and I've never heard back from them again. Oh really? I, I think they're still married. I mean, without. That was like 10 years ago. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was interesting to me because um, my husband has been married twice before me. And I really was like, this is insane. Yeah. What, you're going to go lie again? Like, why <laughs> would you want to do this again? Because I found divorce to be so utterly painful. Yeah. You know, it, and maybe that was because it was the first. But I don't think I could weather it again. Yeah, it and was, a lot of people protect themselves by doing that. I mean, usually... You know, maybe the first divorce was a short-term marriage. They yeah. didn't have money. They mm-hmm. didn't have kids. The mm-hmm. second divorce is usually the the bad one. Mm-hmm. And then by the third divorce, either you have a prenuptial agreement or you're at that stage of life where you sort of establish yourself financially. He's established himself financially. There's not going to be any kids, so mm-hmm. it's not going to be that complicated. Yeah, it doesn't have to. But still, yeah. it, it it's still it's amazing. You know, when people come together and build a life, you know, there you do get so interwoven, and it's yeah. hard. It's hard to keep it. Well, I thought this, one other thing I thought, you know, I thought the book was great. I mean, when reading through your your chapter, there was a lot in it that, um, you know, was interesting to me that I wish I had known at the time, you know, but I felt like, um, which was interesting in, in my uh, first marriage is that, you know, we, I did know everything. I was very much a part Correct. of what, you know, what we were saving and I knew everything and I, you know, was helping him with the business and I wasn't, you know, we didn't also have kids for 10 years. Correct. So we were like doing life together, but you know, there was one chapter in here with, and you give very practical advice. You also say at the beginning, like, you know, be, be certain and be, you know yeah. this is going to be hard. Correct. And and I think, um, you know, one big piece of advice is there, unfortunately, are many attorneys out there that, that don't, they set, so, they set such unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. for their clients because they want to get hired. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that I tell people when, when, when they're, you know, when I'm meeting with them is, look, I, I'm a straight shooter. I'm going to sort of tell you how it is. You're, you may like it, you may not like it, but... I haven't built my practice and reputation in lying to my clients and, and setting false expectations. And, and I think, and I particularly see it, you know, 
when I'm inheriting a client from another attorney that, well, he said that I was going to get X, Y, and Z. I'm like, in what world was he? I mean, this is just not doable. You, right. can, you can have Johnny Cochran. You can have Shapiro. You can have any, you know, all the best attorneys in the world, and, and you wouldn't even, you know, it, it doesn't happen like that. So you have to sort of make sure that you're meeting with someone that, that realistically can, can set your expectations because the, 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 the most difficult cases are where you end up fighting more with your client than you do with, with the opposing attorney. And what I mean like by that is when your client has these unreasonable demands. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm saying, look, you're paying me a lot of money to give you advice. And if you want to disregard that advice, then go hire someone else that's cheaper. Because well, why are you paying me to argue with me? Right. And you're you know? expensive. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so, like- the, so the situation is, you know, you hired us for a reason, you know, you hired your attorney for a listen. They've gone through this before. Just listen to them. And ultimately, you know, you're going to make the decision. But at the end of the day, I want a client that has been at least provided enough materials, enough sort of information to make an educated decision, not the decision of, well, my friend, my client, my friend got this. So I should get that. Yeah, because no, everybody's no, finances no. aren't the same. I right. mean, you know, unfortunately, I see it a lot in Atlanta. I mean, being from Washington, D.C., which was a more conservative. Like, yeah. if you drove a Mercedes in Washington, it was paid for. Yeah. Everybody's houses and cars are leased here. It's yeah. It's fake. Yeah. So, you know, you may look like you have a big life. And me being in real estate, I really get to see people's finances. It's and ridiculous. I, I know. And, and I'd be surprised. I mean, I, I you know, when I go through these financial statements, I'm like, you guys are spending like $90,000 a month so you don't have any assets. Because it's like these people are earning a lot of money, but then when you look at the financial estate, you're like, you have nothing. And yeah. the reason why they have nothing is because- You spend everything. You, you spend everything. You got five kids in private school, you know, which is a big thing in Atlanta. I still surprised. I mean, it's shocking to me the number of people that send their kids to private school here. But I mean, I'm sorry, you know. And you, you talk go, about a lot of financial strain. That's the biggest. I mean, that when you have a one household income that has multiple kids going to private school, it is such a prevalent situation that we're dealing with. Can they continue to afford the forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars? a year in private school. And a lot of times they can't. Yeah. You know, back to my point that, you know, people really live beyond their means and you can look like you have a big fancy life. And if you're, if you're a girl who has, or a man who has no clue of what, you know, and I come from a very brass tacks background, you know, where my mother always was like, you have a house on a LIBOR loan? Like that's like (laughs) ridiculous. So I think a woman or a man has to be really, understand that your life is going to change in many aspects materially, but it can become so much better. And, you know, you know, I was really happy that I met somebody who shared the values as I did, because really, you know, when you're being, when you're cheating on somebody, you're really cheating yourself too of real intimacy. And like this client that you're talking about having two lives, like to live your life and maybe to the other family know about the previous family? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So the at second least he's being fa- the authentic second family with the knew. second family. Yeah, the, the second family, the second family knew. <laughs> the second family yeah. knew. The first family didn't know. Yeah, and I, I thought that yeah. was interesting. Yeah. But there's a lot of useful information in, in your chapter. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's just empowering individuals. Like, I always say the grass looks always greener on the other side. And it's not. It, it, a lot of times it's not. It's not. Yeah. I mean, you trade different problems. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yes. A- am I happy I got divorced? Yes. yes. But when I got out there and I was dating and getting around, I was like, wow. You know, it. It there are a lot of messed up individuals yeah. out there. And it, it's just you. you and, and when you're going through this process, don't go through this process because you think you're going to be happier next month. Think of long term. This is the most sort of impactful probably decision that, that a human being can, you know, can make after, you know, you get married, you're gonna get divorced. So think about where you want to be five years down the road, six years down the road. Because if you have a short term sort of if you if you're looking at the situation in a short term basis, how am I gonna feel, you know, six months down the road, you're gonna go crazy. I mean, because you're never gonna be better six months down the road. 
You're well, going to be better years down the road. Well, and I think I think one of the things that, you know, I didn't really realize and, you know, I think that everybody should realize is that, you know, it, it can almost be even harder in some aspects co-parenting with somebody that you've been really at odds oh, with. Oh, yeah. And that is, that is something that can go on and on and on for years and years oh, and God. years. And, and, and it's just so nasty. The things I'm dealing with this custody case and you have this mom. I mean, they've been divorced now for three years, and the things that the mom is saying in the presence of the children, it, it's like, your dad is a deadbeat. He only wants to pay $50,000 for your bar mitzvah instead of $100,000. You call him and you tell him that you're not going to talk to him unless you he pay. So did the dad come back and is trying to do something about that? Well, or I no, I mean, it was just ongoing, just the constant, you know, involving of the children. And it's those poor kids. I know. It's, I mean, it, it's when you're using the kids as a pawn, it's very, I mean, it's just the, the emotional, psychological impact that it has on those kids is, you know, just stop. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, in front of your eight-year-old. You know, well, and the thing is, is kids figure it out on their yeah. own. So you yeah. don't, you actually come off looking worse yeah. by doing it and just sort of stepping back because they do figure it out. I mean, sometimes Pearson will say things about me or my ex-husband. I'm like, wow, that's so insightful. Yeah. You know, these, yeah. these kids are really, they didn't ask for this. And I think, I think, you know, in the example of the woman who sounds really bitter, I think, you know, I think there is this setup, like I said, that we sort of are the end, the tail end of is that when a girl gets married, she thinks the man's going to take care of her. She thinks it's going to be a certain way. Yeah. And then her whole world is destroyed versus, you know, all my young uh, people that I'm around with, they, they, they don't look at it that way. Yeah, they're partnering so, in a different yeah, way. I have a son and a and a and a, and a girl and a, and a daughter and and it's sort of like you know she we've had discussions about this and and she's like well I'm not, I'm gonna make my own money yeah you know and yeah. I'm like okay well when you make your own money then you can buy me a jet so I can fly <laughs> so I can fly it but it's um I think you know children now I mean they're they're. Their roles are changing, mm-hmm. you know. And, and like, what do you think about boys? I mean, I feel like with my son, I'm like, they they need to catch up. These girls are remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's yes, yes, yes. It, it yes, women, daughters. There, there are. Um, there's a reason I hire my associates to be females. Because oh, really? <laughs> do you? Because do you think, feel like they have a better work ethic, or they, what is it about? I mean, them? My, in my experience, uh, yeah. I mean, at least for this field, mm-hmm. I think you know, women are are, are um, very good in terms of being able to to manage multiple things at a time. Yes, a lot of times better, you know, or often better than us, mm-hmm. um, than men. Um, so it's, it's, uh, and I don't know, maybe you guys are wired like that. Or- well, well, yeah, I mean, wait, I, 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 I mean, I can be doing one thing and I'm thinking about 10 others, but I do know with my husband who is super, like super masculine and so single focused and yeah. he can, you know, if we're having a disagreement, he can turn me off and just go to work. But, but look at the situation. My, my mother-in-law passed like six months ago and my father-in-law, you know, was a successful, you know, CPA and she died. And it's like, I mean, he, he feels so lost, you know, and, and like she was the one that kept everything sort of together for him. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's impactful. To but say they the had least. a good marriage. They too, had a, right? yeah, were married forever. You, I mean, know, you know, you know, and they it's... got married at, I don't know, 20, maybe 21. And you know, he's 80 now. So yeah. Well, I seem like on social media, which is interesting, I see like Steve Harvey. I don't know yeah, if you yeah. ever watch him, but he's on my Instagram feed and a lot okay. of other, a lot of other men like him yeah. talking about the values of a woman. And then a good woman would make a man a better man. Oh, absolutely. And when a man bucks the, our input, yeah. they're really kicking themselves yeah. in the butt because yeah. our instincts, you know, I see it with my husband with his kids, like our instincts are like in witchy. They're yeah. intuitive, and we're our female instincts are very powerful. And it seems to me that men who are uh, evolved are recognizing that yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. But unfortunately, we see the worst in people in divorce cases. So you could be having this conversation, 
And if I was going through a divorce, most likely I would, it, it would flip. I mean, I would be thinking like, she didn't do this. She didn't, it, it just brings out, there's an old saying, if you're a criminal attorney, criminal defense attorney, you're representing bad people behaving their best. If you're a divorce attorney, you're representing good people behaving their worst. Mm -hmm. And it's so true because all these things that, that people say that, oh, my spouse is great and this and that, all that gets flushed out the toilet because divorce by its very nature is in an adversarial process. And in an adversarial process, what are you trying to do? You're trying to win. And how do people think that they can win? They can win by putting down the other but it's so it's so, so really not true. Correct, but but yeah. that's the mentality. Yeah, and the court system is geared like that. Yeah, it, you're on one side, he's on the other side. Tell me the good things. Tell me the bad things. But it doesn't even you know? really matter. <laughs> that's the thing too. Like at the end of the day, it's a division of assets. It's a division of the assets. But if there, if, if I mean, I I do still, you know, I do still think that conduct matters, and I think it matters specifically. When that conduct has, you know, had an impact on the financials of the marriage. So if so, if you were going through a divorce and you found out that, you know, this guy had spent three hundred thousand dollars of his girlfriend, you would want to say, "That's the, my money." At the minimum, put that money back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At I'm, the minimum. At the minimum. No, I mean it's true because it's like a business. It's a if financial. If you're stealing I, from yes. the business, you have to put the money Correct. back. Like I wonder, you know, have have you ever? Ha been representing somebody that you're like this person is such a douchebag oh like, absolutely I can't it happens stand that. all the time and you know and I'll, and I'll tell the other attorney I know that my client is, we do it too in is, real estate yeah is an a-hole but yeah. I gotta I'm doing my job yeah and, you know and and I've told him he's not listening and and we can agree to disagree in a professional way these divorce cases turn even uglier when the attorneys are fighting really bad and right. listen I'll be Man enough to admit that I have lost my cool with other attorneys mm -hmm. because I've sort of, I, I, it, I've let it become too personal. And mm -hmm. that's one thing that I think all divorce attorneys need to do a better job to understand that, okay, just respect that the other person is doing their job and don't let it get personal. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have good attorneys, you know, that, that can sort of separate those issues, it, it's just going to make it much more problematic. You yeah, know. and I think what makes, I mean, I, I, you know, I've only been divorced once, but I think what makes a good divorce attorney is I felt when all was said and done, you know, you're feeling kind of like, this isn't fair, this isn't fair, but when it all shook out, I felt like you protected me. Yeah. And then, I felt yeah. like I stayed, was able to stay in my marital home until it was over. I was able to buy a new home. Um, I do feel like the laws now are different from when I was growing up, that if a man doesn't pay his child support, he is thrown in jail correct, now. Correct. Like, you know, you can't, he, you know, I, I have to give my ex-husband props where props are due because there was never any correct chasing him. And maybe Nancy helped me in that way. Yeah. Maybe she said to him, you know, make sure it's on auto pay. Make yeah. sure you do the right thing. I don't want to be hearing from you that Correct. you didn't pay your child support. Correct. Like maybe she was advocating for me and I didn't even know it. Yeah. But I think, I think, you know, I was really, um, I was really emotional preparing for you because yeah. it, you know, it was a time in my life that was, was sad yeah, for no. my son, yeah, no, you know, uh... but, um, but you should be proud of, of everything that, that you did during your marriage and everything that you've done after your divorce and you've raised, you know, a great kid and you're, 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 you're on your own, you know, you're, so that's great. That's the, that's what we want of our clients. For me sitting here, the biggest sign that I know that you're happy is that you're able to look back in your divorce. So many people in your shoes are still so angry that they can't even they, they'll be like they, they don't even want to like go back and put themselves to even acknowledge that this person existed that i went through this divorce process so kudos to you and i think that's the biggest sign of that you're happy and that you've moved on yeah well yeah that and you're it, able to have this it's, discussion, yeah it took a while you know? but you know i also was really cognizant that if i and i really want to say this because i think it's important you know it's especially as a mom and when things are going wrong and you've got this little kid and you've got your pretty house in the right neighborhood that you're so happy and proud of, you know, but you know, um, I really took a lot of time to do a deep dive in my part, 
you know, where, where could I have been a better wife? Where was I selfish? Where was I, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you should recommend this to your clients, a book called The Queen's Code. Okay. And it talks about how men yearn for appreciation and women yearn for safety. Yeah. And those are our core needs that if we don't feel safe, we can go berserk. And if men don't feel appreciated, that's typically why they have a yes, affairs. That and is so true. It's so true. And 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 a man wants to feel like the king. And you know, I was no good at that. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely like, you know, I'm a top dog. I'm an alpha. I'm an A type. You weren't celebrating your husband walking in through that office <laughs> saying, "Hey, hey you know, you're the greatest thing." Yeah, exactly. And you know, and then so. But that's they, so true. They need that, and yeah. so and but safety is, uh, is is so important to us. Security. Yeah. We're wired for that. That's yeah. how we pick a husband. He will take care of my children. Yeah, that's, yeah. We, it's so even even if you're um you know with no money. Somehow that man, the way he lifts the shovel, makes you feel yeah, that he's going to protect you. And and so my point is, is that I did a deep dive into, you know, my flaws and, and what I could do. And I still slip up. You know, being married the second time, I'm like, oh, here I go again. Yeah, nobody's you, perfect. Nobody, <laughs> you know, but I think if um, both parties, I think it's easier for women to to analyze themselves and to go back and um, and to 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 try to get it right. Yeah, and, yeah, right. and I think that marriage is beautiful in many ways. Uh, you know, I didn't want to get married again. And now that I am married again, I think, I think I would be missing out if I didn't have that person yeah. who had my back, Good. you know, but at times I'm like, but listen, you have his back. Yes. So that's, yeah, that, you know? I do. And I do a lot for him and he appreciates it. Yeah. You know, and so he's always like, I couldn't, you know, look what you do for the whole family. Yeah, so he absolutely. acknowledges versus being like, you just ladies lunch and you don't do anything. Correct. And all of that can be very dramatic and hard on people. But you are such a good attorney. Thank I mean, you. Unfortunately, I've had to come back to you <laughs> and you are very, you're very smart, methodical. And I love your wife. Your wife taught Pearson how to swim. <laughs> That's right. And, um, you know, you, you, you really protect the institution. And I think that, um, I think there should be more courses about getting married before people get married, yeah. you know, to protect it. But, um, and you're still partners with yeah. Randy. Me and Randy Kessler were, you know, the, the name partners in our firm. We have 18 attorneys now and, you know, it's a, it's a tough profession, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so good to just hear from people that like you that have gone through this process and, you know, there is a light at there the is. end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that we need to be reminded more to tell our clients that, you know, hey, it's tough now, but it's going to it's gonna get better. But to do the work, because if yeah, you're not careful, not you'll marry the same thing yeah. over again, and you want to make sure you exactly. don't. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. This is a lot of fun. Okay, thank you. great. So I'm super psyched about my sponsor for the podcast. She's a great friend of mine and also a previous guest. Her name is Lisa Stein. Her work is stunning. We all layer it and wear it all the time. It's great jewelry to wear day to night. I barely go a day without it, and I think you would too once you start collecting it. She's been so nice to give all of my listeners a discount. When you go to lastein.com, you put in Sarah, S-A-R-A-H 15, and you will get a discount. Just put in Sarah.